0: Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you've not done so already, I do want to encourage you to check out my little, uh, Manifesto on Enjoying Golden Age of Entertainment. Made the Golden Age Shine. It's available for 99 cents wherever e-books are sold. And you can check out all my books, audiobooks, and e-books at store.greatdetectives.net. Let's go ahead and get into this week's episode of Follow In. The original air date is May the 10th of 1949, and the title is... THE MEANEST MAN MURDER CASE
1: My niece wants to see me, does he?
2: Yes, she does.
1: What's the matter? Isn't she contented just to live here? Must she intrude even when I'm trying to read? Did
2: she say for me to tell you this, I tell you, that is all I know. All
1: right, Dora, let her come in. But you are to do something for me.
2: Yes, Mr. Benton, whatever it is, I do it.
1: You are to listen outside the door when Irene comes in. Listen and remember everything she says.
2: Many years I worked for you, Mr. Benton. Never do you ask me to do something like Never
1: that. Never mind whether you ever did it before, do it now. And get her in here right away, do you hear me? Right away. Yes,
2: yes, yes, Mr. Benton. I hear you right away. Uh, Miss Benton, go go in here, please.
3: Thank you, Doris.
2: Well,
1: well, what is it, Irene? Uncle Walter, I... You what? Confounded
3: girl, what is it? Uncle Walter, I want to leave this house. I'm going away. Good,
4: goodbye.
3: I've come to ask you a favor. I'll need some money, just enough to get started in another city, just
1: until I get a job. You'll need some money, will you? And you think I'll give it to you? Haven't I done enough for you? Haven't you lived here with me for ten years, ever since your father died? Yes, that's true. Well, what's the matter? Isn't this house good enough for you? Does everybody starve you? You work too hard around here? Uncle Walter, you don't want me here.
3: You've only kept me with you so you could have me near enough to hurt every time you wanted to. You hated my father, and you've never done anything but make me pay for the way you felt about him. No,
1: I'm cruel, am I? You're the
3: meanest man in the world. I can't stay here any longer. I've become a good textile designer. I can get a job, but I don't want it to be anywhere near you. I'm afraid of being near you. Afraid,
1: are you? You're afraid of what I might do to you? No,
3: Uncle Walter, it isn't that. I'm afraid of what I might do to you.
5: Yes, Miss Thomas, what is it? Uh,
3: Mr. Benton is still waiting to see you, Mr. French.
5: All right, send him in. French, what's
1: the idea of keeping me waiting?
5: Sit down, Benton, and don't scream at me. I don't scare easily. Oh, you don't, huh?
1: Good. French, you put in a bid for the cooperated industry's construction job. Lowest bid they got. You're going to get the order. Well, what about it? You're going to get the order, but you're not. Going to take it. Oh, I'm not, eh? And why not? Because my firm made the second lowest bid, and when you tell Cooperated you won't take the order, it'll go to me. And I want it.
5: What makes you think I'm going to tell Cooperated that?
1: A little information I happen to have about you and what you were before you came to this city. I said I don't scare
5: easily, Benton, but I want to add to that. I don't bluff easily either.
1: Bluff? I'm not bluffing, French. I never bluff. Let me read you a report. A report, I assure you, I'd have no hesitancy in reading to Mrs. French and your children if you force me to. I'm listening. <clears throat> Washington, D.C., December 1918. This is a clipping from a Washington paper, French. Listen. Washington, D.C., December 1918. The State Department today released a list of men who were wanted for draft evasion in the World War. Men who so far have not been apprehended. Among now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Bennett. Ben. How'd you get that clipping? A friend of mine got it for me. I had to pay him a lot to trace your background. But he did. And he got me this. And French, I intend to do just what I said I would. If you don't... Get out of here, Benton. Get out. Get out? Sure, I'll get out. I'll get out when you tell me you aren't accepting the cooperated order. I've got to take
5: it, Benton. I put every dime I could lay my hands
1: on into a plant that could handle that assignment. I can't give it up. No? Well, I'm not an unreasonable man. I'll give you until tomorrow morning to decide... Which it is you can't stand, bankruptcy or disgrace? You mean that, don't you? Of course I mean it. You know me well enough to know I mean it.
5: Yes. Yes, I know. One thing I don't know, how a man like you is allowed to live. I don't know one other thing either, and that is, why don't I do
6: something about that?
1: Doctor, well...
4: You can put your shirt on, Mr. Benton. The examination's over. I know
1: it's over. And I know I can put my shirt on if I want to. I know what's wrong with me. Am I improving? That's what I want to know. I'm not sure. You're a
4: doctor, aren't you? What do you mean you're not sure? I need some time to check some laboratory reports. Can't tell you anything definite right now.
1: Can't tell me anything definite? What kind of a doctor are you? I was a good one.
4: Until I accepted you as a patient... No, I'm not so
1: sure. You're not sure about anything, are you? Aren't you forgetting a little conversation we had when I first came to you? Very well, then, stop stalling. I want to know how I'm getting on and how long I have to live.
4: You really want to know? Yes. Well, Mr. Benton, in my opinion, you may not live until morning. But your death may not be from natural causes. Kinda of quiet here at the station, eh, Sergeant? Yeah, Kelly, but I'm not complaining. When do you go out on your beat? Oh, I got another 10, 12 minutes yet, Sergeant. Want me to run out and get some coffee? No, no, thanks just the same. Here, Kelly, take a look at my book. All that's happened since I came on duty is one woman who lost her husband, one woman who lost her dog, and two traffic accidents. The slowest night I can remember. Hey. Look at that guy who just came in.
7: Look at the way he's walking.
4: That's a man. Hey, you. What's the matter? You in trouble?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, officer. I am Walter Benton. I want to report a murder. Murder?
4: Who's dead? I am...
8: Where did Mrs. Markham say she'd meet us, Markham?
9: She said she'd come from the theater, and if we got through at the club early, we were
8: to meet her on this corner, Vance. That sounds to me like she really didn't think you'd make it. My, my, such doubts for a wife to have about this city's rising young district attorney.
9: Oh, she doesn't doubt me, Vance. She knows that when you and I start talking, neither of us realizes the time.
8: Markham, you're my most loyal, adherent, and staunchest ally. <laughs> it was kind of good to get away from crime for one evening, wasn't
9: it? Excellent. That is, if you hadn't treated a chess game the way you'd treat a murder...
8: I don't think I know what you mean.
9: Don't you? That's what I play chess with you. I'm the murderer. Everything I do or intend to do, you seem to know. And furthermore, you know how to check me. Murder of rich
6: construction Water, found dead.
9: Hear that, Markham? I certainly did. Read here, boy, I'll take a paper.
6: Right, Mac, here
2: you are. Gee, thanks. Extra, extra, read all the it.
8: Murder of rich construction Murder, eh? Funny that you weren't notified at the club, Markham. Uh, I can't understand it. I can now. I left word that I wasn't to be disturbed, and so the club attendant figured that meant you weren't to be given any calls either. Yeah, it must be.
9: Read this with me, Vance.
8: The most unusual murder in police history took place tonight when a man identified as Walter Benton, wealthy head of the Benton Construction Company, staggered into the West 80th Street Station, announced that he had been murdered and fell dead at the feet of Sergeant Michael Hoskins, patrolman Gustav Kelly... Well, the rest is to tell. Unimportant, I'd say, at a rough glance. Well, Vance? I'm afraid Mrs. Markham is going to miss us on this corner, Markham. But then she didn't really expect we'd be here, I suppose. No, she didn't.
9: I'm going to headquarters right now, Vance. You like to come?
8: I think not. I think I'm going to visit Walter Benton's house. Perhaps murder like charity begins at home. Oh.
2: The police, they were here. You are more police?
8: No, my name is Philo Vance. I'm a private investigator. I'd like to ask you some questions. No,
2: you ask me nothing. I do not know anything. So you ask me nothing.
8: You know how long you've worked for Mr. Benton, don't you?
2: Twelve years. Twelve years I've been here. But I don't do anything. The police, they ask me many questions, but I don't do anything. I can't tell them
3: nothing.
8: Who else lived here? You must know that.
3: Who else lived here? I... I live here, Mr. Vance. I heard you questioning Dora.
8: I know. You were standing outside the door and your shadow was very evident across the threshold. I was just wondering how long it would be before you announced yourself. You may go, Dora.
2: Oh, oh, Go? Yes. Yes, I go. I go. I I fixed some soup for you, Miss Irene.
3: Thanks, Dora.
8: Miss Irene. Irene what?
3: Benton. Walter Benton was my uncle. His father and mine were brothers. You live here? Yes, I have since my father died.
8: You don't seem particularly concerned about your uncle's death.
3: My uncle was the meanest man in the world. He deserved to die.
8: I hardly think that's your decision to make. Or was it?
3: Excuse me, Mr. Vance. (coughs) Hello?
9: Hello. I believe Mr. Philo Vance is there. May I talk to him, please? This is Mr. Markham.
3: Just a minute. For you, Mr. Vance. Mr. Markham.
9: Thank you. Hello, Markham. Vance, we've just discovered the cause of death in the Benton case. He'd been poisoned. Loaded with poison, the medical examiner says. I just thought you'd like to know.
8: Thank you, Markham. What kind of poison was it?
9: Carborium chloride. Any developments on your invents?
8: Not yet. I'll be in touch with you, Markham. Good enough.
9: Yes. Goodbye. Miss Goodbye. Nice chicken broth. I made you come, come have it while it's hot.
3: Uh, thank you, Dora, but I think I'll go up to my room. I hope you'll excuse me, Mr. Vance.
8: I really don't have any choice, do I? Oh, Dora.
3: Yes?
8: Don't you leave me. I'm not quite through in this house, and I'd rather not be alone.
2: Oh, well, what is it you want?
8: I might be interested in some of that chicken broth you made.
2: That is for Miss Irene, not for you.
8: (laughs) What is this great power I have over the opposite sex? Dora, what was that?
2: Sound like bottle break.
8: Sounded like that to me, too. Where is Miss Irene's room?
2: At the top of stairs. Thank you very much. Where you go, Mr. Vance, where you go?
8: Miss Benton. Oh, in there, eh? Well, what have we here? Besides, a couple of broken bottles. Been pouring the contents of them down the drain, haven't you?
3: What about it? Supposing I have?
8: The bottles are broken, but the labels are intact. Well, let's see now. Mmm, chloride. You have excellent hearing, Miss Benton. I don't know what you mean. I think you do. I think you overheard Mr. Markham telling me on the phone just now that your uncle died of poisoning and that carborium chloride was the poison used. Yes? Yes. You knew that you had carborium chloride in your room... So you ran up to dispose of it before I'd find it. I see by the designing equipment in this room that you had a use for the carborium. Handy and textile dyeing, wasn't it? So
3: what if it was? And what if I did try to get rid of it just now? You think that that proves I killed my uncle?
8: You did overhear what Mr. Markham told me.
3: Yes, I did. I heard him say that carbureum chloride killed my uncle. And you did catch me trying to get rid of that carbureum I had here. But do you think that that proves I killed him?
8: No. No, Miss Benton, I don't think it proves that at all. In fact, I think it proves you didn't. No, Markham, I'm in my own office. I'm quite sure we won't be overheard, so don't worry. But, Vance... I'll listen to what you have to tell me in a moment. But it's important. So is what I have to tell you. Listen, Markham, I know for a fact that Irene Benton can be removed from our suspect list. She didn't poison her uncle, despite the fact that she broke several bottles of carborium chloride that were in her room.
9: How do you know she didn't?
8: She tried to destroy them after you told me it was carborium that caused Walter Benton's death, Markham. If she had poisoned her uncle, she'd have known what killed him... and would have destroyed the poison long before I got to the house.
9: Vance, uh, that's the most logical explanation of a completely contradictory act I ever heard. She tried to destroy the poison because she believed that if we found it, we would suspect her. That's right. Uh
8: huh. Now, Markham, now that I've removed one suspect from this case... Tell me your news.
9: I have a suspect to replace the one you took away. In a secret pocket in Walter Benton's clothes, Sergeant Heath found a clipping from a Washington, D.C. newspaper. A clipping dated December 1918. Yes? It named a group of men wanted for draft evasion in World War I. And one of the men is in this city now. What's more, he was a business rival of Walter Benton's. His name is Martin French. and Apparently, Benton was using the clipping to blackmail
8: him. Apparently. You know, Markham, Irene Benton told me that her uncle was the meanest man in the world. I'm beginning to think she was right. But we've still got to find out who killed him.
9: This is District Attorney Markham. The meanest man murder case began when Walter Benton announced he'd been murdered and then fell dead in police headquarters. Benton lived with his niece, Irene, and a housekeeper, Dora, but neither has been of any help to either Philo Vance or the police in establishing who poisoned Benton. However, we have uncovered a suspect in Martin French, an industrial rival of Benton's, whom we suspect Benton was blackmailing. The man we have watching French has reported to us... that he was last seen entering the office of Philo Vance. We don't know what he's doing there, but we do know... He...
5: Mr. Vance, this is a strictly business proposition. I'm a businessman. I want to pay you to establish my innocence in the death of Walter Bentham. If you're guilty, you couldn't pay me, Mr. French. If you're innocent, you won't have to. Oh, don't beat around the bush, Vance. I'm a prized suspect, and I know it. Benton knew something about me I didn't want known... Now that he's dead, it'll come out. I know it will. And I'm not prepared to face going on trial for Benton's death. I didn't kill him. You've got to help me prove that. I'm not an attorney, you know, Mr. French. Yes, I know, I know. You're a private investigator, the best in the business. And, And I want to hire you to prove I didn't kill Benton. Hire you to prove who did. Put it that way.
8: Maybe that'll sound better to you. You don't have to hire me for that. I'm trying right now to find Benton's killer. By the way... Did you see Benton the day of his death? Why, yes. He was in my office. You didn't have lunch with him. He didn't drink any water in your office? No, no. All he did was threaten me. Threatened me and left. I see. Well, Mr. French, it's only fair to tell you that the police do know about your past. Benton found a way of letting them know even after he was dead. It's just like the man. Just like him. From what I've heard of him, it certainly was. But you've given me an idea, French dead man told one tale. Maybe he'll also indicate who killed him.
3: Coming. Coming. Oh, Dr. Larkin, I'm so glad you've come. It's Dora. She's lying on the bed in her room and she's hysterical. I'm
4: glad you called me, Miss Benton. I'll go see her right away. Which room is hers? The
3: room right next to the library. You remember the library.
4: Certainly. I used to examine your uncle there. This should be Dora's room right here. That's right. Shall I go in with you? No, that won't be necessary. I'll go in myself. I'll call you if I need anything. Very
3: well, Doctor. I'll be where you can find
9: me. Dora. Dora, stop crying, please. This is Dr. Lyon. I'm going to help you.
6: Nobody can help me go away. You've got to stop that crying, Dora.
4: Stop it. You're making yourself sick.
6: Sick, sick. I'm not sick. Doctor, I am too well. But he is dead, Doctor. He's dead.
4: Mr. Benton? Yes, Dora? But he's been dead a whole day now. You weren't like this when you heard the news of his death.
6: Oh, what difference? Time, maybe, before I realize no more he's here. I wanted to come back, Doctor. I wanted to come back. You can bring him back, Doctor.
4: Nobody can bring him back, Dora. Somebody poisoned him.
6: You know who poisoned him, Doctor. You know who did this.
4: The police are trying to find out.
6: I know who do it, Doctor. I know.
4: You do
6: huh? i know doctor you know too only the, the two of us know and, and the two of us we don't talk ever do we doctor
9: And
8: leaving gate for Going somewhere, Mr. French? My pants. I imagined you'd be surprised to see me. Actually, I was surprised to see where you were heading when I started to follow you. I I have a business trip, Vance. Only a day or so. Really? With all the
5: luggage I saw you check. Uh, why, no, no. May as well tell you.
8: I was running away. I have to get away, Vance. I don't think you do. If you were wanted, you'd be picked up no matter where you went. Don't you realize that? Running away won't solve anything. Well, what am I going to do? Go well, back to your house. There are some developments pending in the meanest man murder case that I don't believe you'll want to miss. In fact, I wouldn't want you to miss them.
4: Dr. Larkin speaking. Dr.
8: Larkin, this is Philo Vance. Walter Benton was a patient of yours, was he not?
4: Yes, he was, Vance,
8: for many years. Many years. What was the matter with him?
4: He was a sick man. His case history is here, if you care to look at it.
8: Not right at the moment. In fact, I didn't find out you were his doctor until a few minutes ago, and I called the Benton home. Miss Benton referred me to you.
4: Is there anything else I can do for you?
8: Yes, if you will, doctor. If Mr. Benton hadn't been poisoned, how long would he have lived?
4: That's hard to say. As I told you, he was a pretty sick man.
8: Did he know that?
4: There wasn't anything that man didn't know, Vance. Have you with the police any idea who murdered him?
8: I don't know about the police, but I have a pretty good idea, I think. If you want to know how good, meet me in my office in about an hour. I'm going to have a Mr. French, Miss Benton, and the maid Dora there. And I'm sure Mr. Markham will be on hand. I see. But I'm particularly anxious to have you. So you'll be there, won't you? Markham, this is one of the strangest cases we've ever come across. There are four people in my office who wanted to see Walter Benton dead.
9: Yes, Martin French, Irene Benton, Dora the Maid, and Dr. Larkin. But why Dr. Larkin?
8: Benton had an uncanny faculty for making enemies, Markham. When you called this case the meanest man murder case, you weren't far from wrong. No, I think I was
9: quite accurate in
8: that. I wouldn't say quite that. There's a startling inaccuracy in that title, but we won't go into that right now. My private office, Martin. I see.
9: That is something we'll go into right now, eh? Mm -hmm. I'm with you, Vance.
8: Right. Thank you, all of you, for being so patient, for waiting for us. Dora, I understand you had a nervous breakdown yesterday. You collapsed.
4: I do
2: not know anything. I do not say anything.
8: You don't have to now. Dora, according to what you told Dr. Larkin when he visited you yesterday, you knew who killed Mr. Benton, and you indicated that he knew, too.
4: Who tell you this? I told him, Dora. But I also told him you were hysterical and couldn't be responsible for what you said.
2: I loved Mr. Benton very much.
8: So I imagined from your reaction to his death. You cooked for him, Dora. You, one of the only people in this world who cared for him, could have poisoned him most easily. The only one who could have poisoned him.
2: I do not poison him.
8: Shall I take her advice, Not yet, Markham. Dora, you're fond of Miss Benton?
2: Miss Irene? She's like my
6: child. My child. I bring her up.
8: I figured that, too. Mr. French, Miss Benton, Dr. Larkin. You all had reasons, I imagine, for wanting to see Mr. Benton dead. But none of you killed him. What are you oh, well, no. of, then, Vance? Well, what are we waiting
9: for? You say that Dora could have poisoned Benton very easily.
8: That's right. She had the opportunity while cooking for him. The poison in Irene Benton's room was available to her, and she had a motive. He was being even more cruel than usual to Miss Benton. That's right, isn't it, Miss Benton?
2: He does not have to answer. I tell you. Yes, he was even more cruel cool than usual to my Miss Irene. This I cannot stand. I love him. Yes, but I love her too. Even more than I love him. I go to her room. I get bottle
6: marked Poison. I poison him.
9: I do it. That's that apparently, Vance. I'll take her downtown. We'll close up shop on this one. I
8: wouldn't if I were you, Markham. There's no question but that she fed Mr. Benton the carborium chloride, but she didn't murder him.
6: Didn't. Well, what? well, if she didn't, who did? What?
8: Nobody murdered him, Markham. Carbureum chloride was the one poison that couldn't kill Walter Benton. <laughs>
9: It was a little unkind of you to make me wait an hour before you'd clear up this meanest man murder case, Vance, but it was worth waiting for. Now, what was this all about?
8: Here are the facts, Markham. Benton knew ten years ago he was going to die someday from an incurable illness that he had. Dr. Larkin is my authority for that statement.
9: I'm not questioning it,
8: Vance. Very well. Benton, however, was too mean to just plain die. He wanted his death to look like murder, and he wanted his niece to appear to be the murderess. But why, Vance? A grudge he held against her father for some reason or other. That's not important. But this is. Dr. Larkin told me that his laboratory tests indicate that ten years ago, he started taking carborium chloride in small doses, increasing the dose every week. His body thus became immune to it. Immune to poison? That's right. I checked it thoroughly. There are two kinds of poison, Markham. Cumulative and non-cumulative. In one of the classifications, the human body can build up an immunity if subjected to the poison in tiny doses at the beginning. Later on, the dose can be increased without danger to the subject. It's right here in a book on toxicology, if you'd care to read it. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Oh, thank you. Anyhow, Markham, when your medical examiner found a quantity of carborium chloride in the dead man, he made the very natural assumption that it was the poison that caused death. What happened was this. Benton felt himself dying. Uh, excuse me for interrupting, but how is that? Again, Dr. Larkin is my authority. Dr. Larkin told me he had told Benton that death in his case would be preceded by a sharp pain, a sort of warning a few hours before death was to occur. I see. Then Benton did know he was about to die. Right. And knowing that, knowing that he had a quantity of carborium chloride in him, he made the dramatic entrance and exit from this world at the police station. He knew then that he was accusing his niece of murder without ever indicting her. Why the niece, particularly? Because she used carborium chloride in her work in textile designing. It's used a lot for dyes. In fact, Benton used Irene's own chemicals when he began systematically building up a resistance to the carborium. It was quite a clever plan. We're lucky it didn't work. We most certainly are. You were the reason it didn't work, Vance.
9: You were the only way we'd ever have known that the meanest man murder case wasn't a murder case at all.
6: (laughs)
0: Welcome back. Okay, I know that some of you were thinking what I was thinking when our decedent, because can't really call him a victim at this point, our decedent went into the police headquarters and announced he was reporting his own murder. That sounds a lot like the start of DOA. And I kind of thought they were ripping off the beginning of DOA. But not so. DOA was still nearly a year away from a full theatrical release. From what I gather, there was a Hollywood premiere in December of 1949. This begins to make me curious whether the long-held chronology for follow Vance episodes in the old time radio community might be off. Because it's hard to imagine them having this sort of original idea, but it's possible, so I'm not going to you know throw out the entire episode log, at least not yet. Now, of course, this really was a very mean and spiteful man who's uh made this plan to frame his niece for his eventual natural causes' death. But that whole thing would have been foiled had she moved away before then. And of course, this does imply that she had been working for a decade. Now, we might be tempted to ask why was she staying with this horrible person this late into her adult life. But I think with what we know have gathered about the pathologies of abuse. There are all sorts of ways that, you know, abusive, manipulative people have of keeping people under their thumb. And this guy does strike me as someone who really took pleasure... And being mean and cruel to her. And I think the way she's played in this episode makes it ring true to me because she doesn't strike me as this very shrewd person, but rather as someone who, after a lot of years, is finally just starting to figure herself out. That's really where we meet her in the story. That part I do find believable, and I think the actress's performance really does help that. Now, uh, the Doctor was played by a familiar voice, Lon Clark. Lon Clark, of course, was the star of Nick Carter, Master Detective. And he was starring in this even uh, during the time that Philo Vance was being recorded. And we get to hear something on an East Coast detective program that we uh, don't hear often, but hear quite a bit on West Coast programs. And that is lead actors in radio detective programs, having to kind of go out and work as character actors, even in other detective programs. In the 21st century, starring in a TV program is essentially your main meal ticket. Of course, it does take up the bulk of your time, and so you really don't have the time to do much at all during the time that you're filming while stars of radio detective programs, they had time to do character acting or go work on movies because it didn't take as much of their uh, day. So whether it was uh, a good situation or not, it's probably important to understand that if you starred in a radio detective program, that didn't mean that, you know, you were set or, or... financially secure. You needed to be working in pictures or working as a regular radio actor to get more work. So, many of these actors were far closer to the American middle class of their era than anyone who's a significant star today. Very successful movie stars were extremely wealthy, well-off not just not the case with uh, most uh, radio actors, including those who uh, starred in programs. So it's an interesting little tidbit to hear Long Clark there. Of course, Long Clark not only did Nick Carter, I should note, he also did the Comics Weekly Man, which I, I reference. Uh, on an episode of our Amazing World of Radio series, but I digress ever so slightly. Now we do turn to listener comments and feedback, and we've got a comment from Eric regarding Casey Crime Photographer. Eric writes, I'll miss you most of all, Ethelbert. Uh, Over its run, Casey uh, probably became one of my favorite shows that you've aired. The failed TV series definitely knocked the wind out of the radio version. The quality took a Sharp drop around nineteen fifty when they were working on that series. the shows before nineteen forty nine are among the best examples of the reporter detective subgenre, and are second in my mind only to not beat. Uh, there is no way all these episodes were written by Alonzo Dean Cole, right? They must have had a writer's room or brought uh, episodes by freelancers. It's hard to imagine one guy turning out five hundred scripts. Is there a way to find out who the other writers are? Well, thanks so much uh, for the comment, Eric, and I appreciate your appreciation of the series. I think there was maybe a little bit of a decline, you know, partially it came down to budgetary issues. We probably do need to keep in mind, you know, in listening to the 1954 programs, that these were really their first two episodes back. And while I don't think they were bad, you know, it's still just a matter of getting into the swing of things. I do think that 1950 was affected by the fact that there were quite a few script reuses, including their scripts that were not all that good in the first place. Now, uh, if you go over to bluenotebolton.blogspot.com, It's safe to say that the vast majority of the scripts were written by Alonzo Dean Cole, but they did call in a few scripts from freelancers. which kind of helped with uh, the burden and allowed him to take some vacations. And uh, for those... You know, Dr. Joe Webb did some research. Most of them were kind of obscure, but then again, most scripts were actually written by Alonzo Dean Cole. And even when you do take into consideration, you know, freelancers... He was probably tied into forty plus scripts per year, which is a lot. And the vast majority of the Casey scripts were his scripts. And that is just not something that you would see in any modern audio drama or modern television show either. You did things during the golden age of radio that are, you know, really impressive that you managed to do it but are not necessarily best practices. What I would compare it to is back in the 19th century, there was a baseball pitcher named Pud Galvin. Galvin pitched uh, oftentimes as many as 70 complete games per season. Uh, He sometimes pitched 600 innings. And really, that's impressive. But we've seen more than enough pitching into juries and pitchers just getting tired from overwork that we've kind of decided, you know, that's just not the best way to do things. And I think that... Uh, there definitely was a case where you could get kind of factory-like work from so many of these writers. It'd be like, okay, we got to do, you know, 50-some scripts this year. And, of course, you'd have cheats that you really couldn't get away with today, like, you know, recycling a script from another series. You know, cannibalize all the plot elements, change a couple of names. Yeah, that type of thing won't fly. But it was the type of thing, you know, that... Alonzo Dean Cole did several times a season because that's what he had to do in that environment. I will say the fact that Alonzo Dean Cole stayed with Casey for so long is itself really of note because you'll often find, you know, shows that'll have one or two riders and they might, you know, have a rider last a season or two, many times much less than that. The idea that he stayed with it means that no matter how many scripts he had to reuse, he was still finding things that he enjoyed writing with a Casey Crime photographer. Uh, He was finding creative outlets and things to do. And even though there are some episodes and eras that aren't, you know, as good as another in my opinion. Cole was still a good writer and he found creative things to do. He found new approaches to stories and characters that were really uh, fun and that kept him engaged and I think helped keep the audience engaged for so long. Thanks so much for the comment, Eric, and now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Emily, Patreon supporter since February 2020, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. That will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those things that help the channel to grow. But next Wednesday, we will be bringing you Dangerous Assignment. And then next Thursday, we'll have another episode of Philo Vance for you. But join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where...
7: It went down within three minutes' time. There's no question about that being the cause of the sinking. We have a sworn affidavit to that effect, signed by Monsieur Cunningham and one sailor out of the crew of eight who survive the sinking with him. No other witnesses? None. Anything else to back up their statement? A Lebanese gunboat proceeded to the scene the next day. It found considerable floating debris, such as deck chairs, life preservers, and a large pool of oil. Uh Also, it located the derelict, which was reportedly responsible for the accident, and destroyed it with gunfire. No sign of the yacht itself? Sounding equipment located it resting on the bottom in some 70 fathoms of water. Where was Cunningham going when he hit that derelict? Oh, he was en route from Istanbul, Turkey to Beirut. Pleasure trip? Oui. What about Cunningham himself? Oh, he has visited Beirut several times during the past year. Apparently wealthy. His source of income is unknown to us. He devotes much of his time to gambling while here. Any uh, business associates? Friends? Ah, only the coupier. And that girl, Nadja? Oh, there are many like her here in Beirut. With Monsieur Cunningham, it is a different one each visit. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your trouble, Commissioner. Well, you're quite a Monsieur Dollar. Uh, however, I have the feeling you are not entirely satisfied with the results of this interview. It was a clear, moonlit night, Commissioner. A calm sea. There must have been lifeboats aboard. That is correct. I was just wondering why only two survivors out of a crew of eight. So you find he said he stopped being back there, Monsieur? Don't you? Yeah, my duty ends with the factual reporting of what has occurred, Monsieur Delaule. So does mine. Before I left him, Commissioner Floro gave me the name and the address of the sailor who'd survived the sinking. I found him deep in the native quarter behind the bazaars, on a narrow, twisting street, black with shadows, that was called El Ekbad.